Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Medisos. This week we're going to be talking about COVID-19 tests, why is testing so important for two different types of tests and also the importance of testing in identifying variants. So up first is Adrian. So I'll be talking about why COVID-19 testing is important. On an individual level, a COVID-19 test is a way of identifying whether you're infected with COVID-19 to see whether you need to isolate to reduce the risk of spreading it to another person. COVID-19 testing plays a far, far more significant role than just keeping people informed of if they're infected or not. Indeed, when looking at the bigger picture, testing for COVID-19 plays a crucial role in controlling the pandemic. From the past year of drifting in and out of lockdown, the one thing that we know for sure is that every single person can help the country control the pandemic. Even measures that may seem trivial and insignificant, such as wearing a mask or maintaining distance in public spaces, play a part in keeping us all safe and are crucial to the acceleration of Britain back to normality. And one of these measures is testing. Testing saves lives. There's no doubt about that. Testing everyone, even those that show no symptoms, is an essential measure that identifies positive cases promptly, which means that individuals can self-isolate earlier in the course of infection. Reducing the window of time in which people are infectious but unaware decreases the time for which people are spreading the virus to others, which is essential in slowing down the spread of COVID-19. It is recognised that nearly half of all COVID-19 cases are transmitted by asymptomatic people. This figure highlights just how important it is that all cases are identified and that people isolate accordingly and quickly. Identifying asymptomatic cases is not the only way in which testing saves lives. Testing allows for the identification of pre-symptomatic cases, that is, identifying a case before the patient has any symptoms. This allows the patient to seek out the necessary medical help and treatment before it's too late. An example of where the identification of pre-symptomatic cases is essential in saving lives is those who are extremely vulnerable. Seeking out medical attention earlier in the course of illness increases the chance of recovery and ultimately saves lives. The earlier that a disease is diagnosed, and this applies not only to COVID-19, the sooner they can be treated, and so the greater their chances of survival. Testing plays a key role in slowly reducing the measures that people have to live with, such as the gradual relaxation of lockdown that's happening now. Testing keeps the government and other national medical authorities aware of precisely how many people in the country have COVID-19, and to see whether the rate of spread is increasing again or not. Since the relaxation of lockdown is being done in a controlled manner, testing can show the extent to which the relaxation of a certain restriction increases the rate of infection. For example, the reopening of schools caused for the rate of infection to increase, but this was because most secondary schools in the UK are doing two tests a week, which means that more positive tests are being recorded. This is crucial data if infections become too high again. With this information, the government is more informed about the effectiveness of the restrictions that have been imposed upon society, so that if measures to reduce spread are needed again in the future, only restrictions that are proven to be effective can be put into place. This helps eliminate a complete lockdown. We now move on to how testing plays a role in herd immunity. First of all, let's discuss what herd immunity is. Herd immunity is a concept of indirect protection from infectious disease when a sufficient percentage of a population has developed immunity to it. 
In the case of COVID-19, immunity can be developed either through vaccination or previous infections. Once the herd immunity threshold has been reached, the disease gradually disappears from the population and, if herd immunity is achieved worldwide, the number of infections will eventually fall to zero and the disease is then er eradicated. No more endemic transmissions occur. Vaccinations aim to provide a way for people to develop immunity without having to suffer the symptoms of COVID-19. One of the key factors that play a part in determining how to reopen society is the percentage of people who have developed immunity against SARS-CoV-2. This percentage is increasing rapidly with the rollout of the vaccines across Britain, especially in those who are most vulnerable to COVID-19 infection, since those are the people who are higher up the priority list for the vaccine rollout. Testing provides another key value in determining what proportion of the population have developed immunity to COVID-19. It is only through consistent testing of the population that it is possible to count the number of people who have already been infected with COVID-19 because these people will likely have developed antibodies against SARS-CoV-2 and are considered immune. With more frequent testing, more cases of people who will develop immunity to the virus can be identified, which provides a more accurate value of what proportion of the population is immune. Linking to develop immunity, another type of testing is antibody testing. This is not a test to see if a person is currently infected by SARS-CoV-2, but rather to see whether a person has the antibodies against the virus. This is important as testing has not been made as available as it is today. In the spring of 2020, for example, testing was only available to a few of those with symptoms, which defeats the whole point of testing. This means that lots of positive cases are likely to have gone uncounted. And this means that there is a probably a greater proportion of the population that has developed immunity against COVID-19. Antibody tests are a way of detecting which people have the necessary antibodies to be immune to COVID-19. It is unsafe to assume that all those who have had COVID-19 in the past will be immune, and some people will have had COVID-19 without knowing it. Antibody tests, though arguably nowhere near as important as testing for a case, are a way of establishing what proportion of the population has immunity to the SARS-CoV-2 infection. There's another element of testing of both types that's incredibly important. Reporting the test result to the NHS is the only way that the government can keep track of numbers and the outcomes of tests, whether that be a home test or a test at a specific centre. The greater the sample size, i.e. the greater the number of people completing and reporting their test results, the greater the accuracy of the government's viewpoint of the status and the country's infection and whether we are improving or worsening. This means that it's extremely important that you report your test result to the NHS as soon as you complete it. Now I'll hand over to Surya who will be talking about PCR tests. So I'm going to be talking about how RT-PCR is being used to test for COVID-19 which requires a nasopharyngeal or oropharyngeal swab. RT-PCR is the abbreviation for reverse transcriptase polymerase chain reaction and this test aims to diagnose a person with COVID-19 based on the detection of viral RNA from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. PCR works by amplifying and detecting sequences of DNA in a sample. So PCR can only be used to amplify DNA and not RNA. So we need to convert the RNA in the SARS-CoV-2 virus into DNA so that PCR can be carried out. 
For this, we use an enzyme called reverse transcriptase, which converts the RNA into cDNA or complementary DNA. This cDNA is complementary to the RNA sequence of the COVID-19 virus. Once the reverse transcriptase has converted all the RNA in a sample into DNA strands, the PCR test needs to be able to find the specific cDNA that is complementary to the COVID-19 viral RNA. This is because the sample may now contain cDNA for other viruses in the sample, for example, a rhinovirus that may cause the common cold. PCR involves amplifying the DNA in the sample and detecting the cDNA complementary to the RNA of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which will result in a positive result for COVID-19 if the specific cDNA is detected. Now let us look into the three stages involved in PCR. The first step is known as denaturation. In this stage, the DNA strands of each DNA double helix is broken down into, into single-stranded DNA. In the next stage, known as annealing, short sequences of nucleotides that are complementary to a unique sequence of bases in the cDNA, which is complementary to the RNA of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. These sequence of nucleotides are known as primers, and they attach to each of the single-stranded DNA. The primers are very specific to COVID-19 viral cDNA, and so won't bind to any other cDNA found in the sample. The final stage is known as elongation. In this stage, nucleotides are added to the primers that have attached to the COVID-19 viral cDNA. The sequence of the additional nucleotides is controlled by viral cDNA, which acts as a template strand. Now the COVID-19 viral cDNA has doubled in number. Each cycle of these three steps of PCR causes the quantity of viral cDNA to double. Usually during a real-time PCR test, each time a new viral cDNA strand is created, a probe releases a fluorescent signal. If a certain level of fluorescence, fluorescence signal is detected, known as the threshold, the signal's cause can reliably stated as being due to the viral cDNA. The number of cycles required to reach the threshold value is known as the cycle threshold or CT value. If the CT value is lower, this means that fewer cycles of the PCR process is required to reach the fluorescent signal required. This means that there would have been lots of viral RNA in a sample, indicating a larger viral load. The CT value can be used to monitor viral load in patients. If less than 40 cycles are needed to pass the fluorescent threshold, i.e. a CT value of less than 40, when amplifying cDNA from the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the RT-PCR test for COVID-19 will be positive, and so naturally a CT value of 40 or more will mean a negative COVID-19 result. Most countries require a negative PCR test before allowing an individual into their country. So that was just a brief overview of how RT-PCR works. And now on to Anapan, who will be discussing the lateral flow test. So let's begin with, what is a lateral flow test? A lateral flow test, also known as a rapid antigen test, is a rapid result test to detect the presence of an antigen in people. Its full name is a lateral flow immunochromatographic assay, or simply known as rapid tests. COVID-19 versions of the test 
work based on the same principle as pregnancy tests, which are the best known usage of this type of test prior to the pandemic. The way it works for COVID-19 tests is that a swab of the nose and throat is taken to produce a sample. This sample is then inserted into an extraction solution where it is mixed and that solution is then dripped onto the sample pad of the test strip. So let's talk about the science of what is happening here. So the analyte or the sample that is provided from the testee is designed to capture antigen material taken from the nose, throat and saliva. And that is to determine if there is any surface spike proteins from the SARS-CoV-2 virus particles. And this being placed on the sample pad then dissolves into the paper of the test. This liquid sample then moves via capillary flow through the paper, bringing along with it the spike antigens, which should be there if SARS-CoV-2 is present. And this then binds to artificially produced antibodies in the conjugate pad. This then forms an antigen-antibody complex of the antibody, antibodies, which are artificially produced in, on the test, and the antigens, which are from the SARS-CoV-2 particles. Now, they can now bind to two rows of embedded antibodies marked further along on the test kit. If the antigen is present, so if you are positive for coronavirus, the antibodies will bind to the embedded antibodies on both of these lines, the test line and the control line. However, if the antigen is not present, the antibodies will only bind to the control line and not to the test line. This then allows for the testee to see in a very simple to understand format whether you have a positive result, uh, which is the control and test line being marked, a negative result, which is the control line being marked, or a void result. If the test isn't working properly, you may see no lines appear or a line only appear on the test line. So this will be due to a problem with the test kit itself. So how useful and effective have these lateral flow tests been? They've been extremely useful for a few reasons compared to PCR tests. They are far cheaper and easier to mass produce, and the results do not need to be processed in a lab, unlike the PCR tests. In fact, you can get results in 15 to 30 minutes, and they can be carried out by any person. They do not need to be carried about by trained technicians. Deborah Burks, the head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, said in April 2020, there will never be the ability with the PCR tests to do 300 million tests a day or to test everyone before they go to work or to school, but there might be with the antigen test. And this mass capability of testing is why they're so useful. However, in terms of effectiveness, their reliability statistics have varied wildly. SAGE, or the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies for the UK, have published a paper on the 25th of November last year saying the tests have a 48.9% sensitivity or likelihood of detecting the virus when it is actually present in an asymptomatic individual. Nick Gibb, however, the schools minister for the UK, when questioned on the lateral flow test rollout in schools, said that only one third of the tests received false positives this is also supported by Health Secretary Matt Hancock, who said, based on research from the Porton Down Government Lab and Oxford University from the 8th of November last year, that the overall sensitivity is 76.8%, with over 95% of people with high viral loads picked up by the test. According to the government website in the UK, it says, lateral flow is useful for finding out if the person is infectious now 
and able to transmit the virus to others. The level of sensitivity is high enough to detect the vast majority of these cases. Lateral flow testing is less likely to return a positive result outside the infectiousness window. And so the reason for this variance in effectiveness from these studies mainly depends on who is carrying out the test. When carried out by lab scientists, it was shown that it has around a 79% of picking up positive cases. Slightly less so when done by trained healthcare workers, around 73%, however significantly worse when carried out by members of the public, only 58%. And while lateral flow tests can be carried out by the vast majority of the public, this variance in statistics has led to a lot of people being worried that mass rollout of these tests provides false security due to the number of false positives or false negatives that may come from the test. In terms of availability in the UK, on the 13th of March, only 30,000 tests had been carried out in the UK, corresponding to around 450 tests per million people, which is quite abysmal. In the early months of the pandemic, the UK government were heavily criticised for not increasing testing capacity fast enough. By the 31st of March, 143,000 people had been tested, which is a slight increase. However, as of January 2021, testing was running at over 3 million tests per week. And by the 9th of February, 75,693,515 lateral flow tests had been carried out in the UK. These tests are being given out in the schools as part of Operation Moonshot across the UK, and employers are able to order two free tests for all of their employees via the government website if they're registered as a business in England. There's also an online home ordering service allowing tests to be delivered directly to people's homes. And all of this, however, is being recommended only for asymptomatic people. If you are symptomatic, the government advice is to use a PCR test. Yesterday, on the 5th of April 2021, the UK government has actually offered free access to two rapid lateral flow tests. While this option is voluntary to take part in, it is highly encouraged by the government so that everyone can test if they have the coronavirus at this time. And now I'll move on to Shrey, who will talk about the variants of COVID. So another key concern in the pandemic is the emergence of many different variants, such as the Kent variant, which is the dominant variant in the UK and also across Europe. There's also the South African variant and there's also the Brazilian variant. And you may remember from our first episode about COVID-19 vaccines that variants are a key concern in making sure the vaccines still work. Variants are identified by the COVID-19 Genomics UK Consortium, which is carrying out large-scale and rapid whole genome sequencing of virus samples. They do this by taking positive samples from COVID-19 tests and sequencing them in labs. They then compare this to variants that are already known and then identify whether variants are more or less virulent and more or less deadly by doing lab experiments on vaccine samples and on live tissues. The three main questions they want to know is, how widely are these variants? Do they make disease worse? Are the symptoms worse? Are you more likely to die from these variants? And what is the effect on treatments, particularly vaccines? So luckily, the four variants that are currently circulating in the UK as of the 31st of March 
do not show increased morbidity, but they do show increased virulence. So they more easily transmit between people. And that's just natural selection. That is the virus adapting to its surroundings. And the UK Genomes, Progress, Genomes Products is a huge operation. It's providing 48% of the genomic testing globally. And hopefully the WHO hopes to expand this capacity to other places, particularly in America and across Europe. There are three main categories of variants. Variants of interest, variants of concern, and variants of high consequence. So the ones we should be worried about are variants of concern, which are the four that are in the UK at the moment, which is the English one, South African, Brazilian, and another English one from Bristol. And luckily, we haven't got any of vaccine of high consequence, and they would be ones that would threaten the NHS in terms of their virulence or their morbidity. Variants are going to have to be checked throughout this pandemic. And also, we need to identify which variants are dominant within the population to make sure that if in the autumn we do need a booster vaccines for those uh, in vulnerable groups, that we know which ones are virulent, which ones are the most common within the population, so that we know that we can make the most effective vaccine that's more, most likely to protect people. And this already happens with flu. Every year, we identify the strains of flu that are most common uh, in that flu season, and we make the flu jab according to that. And there's no difference with COVID. It's expected that COVID is going to stay with us, and we're going to have to get used to identifying these new variants and making sure that we're one step ahead of the virus in producing vaccines. So that's our roundup of COVID-19 vaccines, What's how they work, why they're important, and why we still need to be wary of new variants. So while the PCR test is more accurate, it takes nearly two days for the results to come back. Well, with a lateral flow test, that can happen within half an hour. What do you think is the best solution for testing? I think the most practical solution is a reliable test that comes back quickly and PCR tests are more reliable and give less false results than lateral flow tests, but they do take much longer to get a result. So I think we need to find a balance between the two types of testing when we implement it, because, for example, school testing twice a week, it wouldn't be practical to to do PCR tests twice a week. So in that case, lateral flow tests are the best. But for example, if you're going on holidays to different countries, there's really no rush and you can plan in advance. So then in that case, PCR tests are the best. We talked about antibody testing as well. Do you think that will become more prevalent as we go through this pandemic and start to come out to see who is who has immunity, who doesn't, and to target shielding better than just saying all over 80 stay at home. We can say all those who don't have antibodies can stay at home instead. I definitely think that looking at antibody tests in a way of marking who has to remain at home and who doesn't opens up some interesting discussions, especially surrounding discussions such as vaccine passports or just test passports in general, because it opens up the option of people being chosen specially to be allowed to break 
the restrictions compared to other people if they've had the chance to receive these. I think testing as it is right now, in terms of the scale of the lateral flow tests and the PCR tests, if antibody testing was to come into prominence above those two and people who'd want, who did have antibodies were prioritised in terms of being able to break restrictions compared to people who didn't, I think that would cause a lot more problems. Because I think the problem with testing is not just one of the ability to test people, but it's also the willingness of people to take part in these tests. One big criticism of yesterday's announcement is that it is still voluntary and that it's missing out a lot of people who are not actively testing themselves. At the moment, as we said, the UK is, is testing loads and loads of people. Um, but obviously, early in the pandemic, that wasn't the case. They had to, the government had to fudge the numbers to get to their target. And some other countries, uh, those that had previously had the MERS pandemic or SARS-1, they were much better prepared, such as South Korea, and they were able to implement testing really, really quickly. And do you think that if the UK had introduced mass testing like we have at the moment earlier on, that lives could have been saved? So I think that, as you touched on South Korea, they had a really effective um, strategy for testing early on during the pandemic because they um, carried out testing through um, drive-throughs drive in um, car parks. And this allowed them to like complete um, each test in around 10 minutes. So I think that that level of efficiency and rapid testing allowed them to get a better picture of where they were in the pandemic early on. So they were able to like um, implement better strategies early on to limit the spread. So I think that the um, the method of carrying out the tests were really important in terms of which countries were successful. Yeah, definitely. I would say that testing, especially in the early stages, when we didn't have any solution, we didn't have any vaccine, we didn't even have any treatments for it. Testing was the key thing that could have been done. Now with vaccines, um, hopefully we, the need for testing is less, but we still need to make sure that we're testing and making sure that we're isolating if we have a positive test. Thank you for listening to our talk about COVID-19 tests. I hope you found it informative. Tune in next week for another episode of Medisodes.